and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It was Isaiah that said in the year King Uzziah died, in the midst of what we would call political turmoil and a national unrest, he said, in the midst of it all, I saw the Lord. And when I saw him, I didn't just see part of him. I saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And all of the angels around him were going, holy, holy, holy. Don't you realize that some of the greatest praise you can give to the Lord is when you just say you're holy, you're holy. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Thank you for visiting the prayer rooms. We feel the effects of that here this evening. As you're standing, we want to go to the book of Ephesians. Chapter number 6, I will attempt, Lord willing, to finish this chapter. And you can say at least you have read the book of Ephesians. Because we've read every verse in this book. And I, it could have been worse. I could have started with Psalms. And we'd finish it in about three or four years. But I have thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, you learn more by teaching than you do listening. Because you actually have to act like you know what you're talking about. So you got to start digging. And my wife has done a great job of writing all these notes. No, I'm just picking. But we're going to do chapter 6. Let's, let's just begin with a few verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to continue to read through this in our teaching today. In chapter 6 of this book, Paul is going to teach us about wearing the armor of God. But before he gets us ready to go to war, he teaches us that we have to be submitted. We have to bring our civilian's will and understanding into line with military standards, codes, rules, regulations, and ways of thinking. Because this is a war. This isn't just going to church. It's a war. Back when I was in the Marines, no, I'm just joking. My brother was in the Marines. He went in the Marines, I think, at 18 years old. And the closest I got to the Marines was going to Paris Island. That's it. And when we got to finally see him after his graduation, we got to talk to him. That was a totally different guy than what went in. In fact, when he came home for his 10 days of leave, we, he said, you know, he was used to going running. And he said, let's go running. Okay. I mean, I was in no shape to be a runner. I'm, I'm more of the ride along and give motivation kind of guy. And I went in there that morning to wake him up because he was sleeping. And I was trying to 
nudge him just a little bit. And as soon as he showed any signs of consciousness, he flew out of that bed. Sir, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. What in the world? But he was so programmed for three months to respond. What they do is when they bring you in, they break you down. And they have to start building you back up to what they want you to be. It's a whole different way of life when you're going to war. You have to bring all of those thoughts, all of those desires. You have to bring it all under subjection, and then you have to let God build you back up like you need to be. Our relationship with God is the only relationship in which we know that the other party is right all the time. Any relationship you have with humans, that cannot be applied because we're fallible, we're feeble, we're flawed. They may think they're right all the time, but they are subject to error. I have a sign in my office. It says, I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. And, and that only time that applies, God is the only one that can say that because he's right all the time. All right? God puts us in human relationships where there are times that the authority we are submitted to is not right. But the only reason God allows it is so we can learn submission to him, not them. I heard a guy say one time, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in life was work for somebody dumber than me. There's a lot of truth in that because I've been, I've met people and I wonder how in the world did you get where you're at? They're just ignorant. But being submitted to somebody like that has nothing to do with you approving of who they are or what they say. It is showing submission to him by being submitted to them. You follow me? We know things, but God knows all things. We know stuff, but we don't know everything. God knows everything. We must be submitted to his ways, his will, and his word. And you find out if you're submitted when you don't agree or you don't understand. You don't. You don't. Anybody can say, oh, I'm submitted. I'm submitted. I'm submitted to my man of God. I'm submitted to my bishop. You know, there's a thing now. Guys have bishops in their life, and they have pastors in their lives. Well, that's not even biblical. I've heard guys, well, that's my pastor, and that's my bishop. Okay, what happens if the pastor says something to the bishop? Who overrides who? you got to have one voice in your life, one man of God, in your life. You can't start getting you. Now, the Bible does say in the multitude of counsel there is safety. And I have men in my life. I have one pastor, and that is Randy Stanton. But then I have other men in my life that I can seek counsel from, but they don't trump what my pastor says in my life. Uh, you have to be. Submission is about covering. It's about covering. And you don't find out if you're submitted until you disagree. As long as you agree, 
My mom used to say, everything's hunky-dory. But when you start hearing something you don't agree with, that's when you find out if you're submitting. I remember one time, one and only time, I don't tell this story often, one and only time this ever happened, I was about 17 years old, and I got ticked off at my pastor. And he was chewing some hide in, my, in the office, and I just got up, said, I ain't, I don't want none of this. And I was walking out, right in the middle of him talking. I don't know what came over me. Stupid came over me is what it was. And I remember just as loud as if it was that day, he stood up and he slammed his hands as hard as he could on the table and said, you better sit back down in that chair. And I got to the door and I froze. So sorry, sir. So sorry. I sat down and I thought I was fixing to get ripped to shreds. I'll show you how wise my pastor was. He knew I was at a very fragile time in my life. Got up around that desk, walked in, knelt down beside me and started weeping. And I just crumbled to pieces. He was teaching me submission. Submission. The true test is submission. You cannot go to war like you need to go to war if you are not submitted to the things of God. Amen. So that's what Ephesians chapter 6 is dealing with. Paul is going to get to the armor of God. But before he gets to the armor of God, he deals with submission. Ephesians 6 and 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The best time to learn obedience and, sub and submission is as a young child. Parents, listen to me. Don't neglect to teach respect for authority to your children. We're living in a day where people don't respect authority. Not just spiritual. The police, by the way, all this defund the police, now the crime rates are going through the roof in these big cities that wanted to defund the police. I told, I prophesied that from the beginning. That's going to happen. But let me tell you where it started, at home. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I just don't want to respect nobody. No, there was never anything instilled in them to teach them to respect authority. And parents... I've seen this happen. I've seen the parent, the pastor preach something and teach something, and then the parents tell their child it doesn't apply to them. Well, now their children are backslid because it's not the child's fault. It's the parent's fault. For They erased all respect for what the man of God spoke in, into their child's life. God doesn't expect children to understand everything their parents to tell them to do. He just expects them to obey. And this principle applies to his own spiritual children. Okay? How many times it's natural in the kids, you tell them to do something, well, why? It's not that they're trying to be rebellious. It's that they just want to know. And you said, because I said so. That's enough of a reason. Because I'm dad, I paid the bills, and I told you to do it. All right, there's a principle 
You don't have to understand as a child of God everything God's doing as your father, but he does want you to obey. He wants you to obey. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. If you compare the lives of those having respect for authority with the lives of those who don't have respect for authority, all behavior has consequences. And there's two different walks of life that they take. All right? If you can learn a principle on any level or at any age, you can learn it on every level. There's some people say, well, I'm getting older. I can't learn nothing. I can't memorize. No, you can. You can. You can learn a lesson on any level. You just have to want to learn it. Let me prove it to you. Some children are taught when they're little to pay tithes. It's instilled in them to pay tithes. But some people don't come to God until they're in their 40s or 50s. But they still learn the lesson. Pay tithes, pay offering, okay? Different levels, same lesson. You can learn lessons on any level if you want to learn them. And honor, honor your father and your mother. There's a principle that's tied to that, which is so your days will be long on the earth. Honor does not mean you always agree with them. It means you honor them for who they are in your life. You honor them. You respect them. Doesn't mean you're always going to agree with everything. That's impossible. It's not going to happen. But you honor who they are in your life. Ephesians 6 and 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God's plan for his people is filled with checks and balances. Submission must occur in an environment of mutual submission. Mutual submission. See, the command is given to the father. Our society leaves the nurturing to the mother, but the commandment was given to the father because he children learn their values from the authority figure in their home. Society has shifted everything, but fathers, we have a role to establish authority in the home. But I want to I just dig in this for a minute. This scripture, provoke not your children to wrath, applies to both parents. Because I have seen in my life children get punished or get beat, however their punishment was dished out, corrected, let's use that word, corrected, politically correct. But the only reason they did what they did was because they were provoked by their parents. And in that situation, the parents were wrong, not the child. There's mutual submission. Children are going to submit to their parents or should submit to their parents. But parents should submit to the request of the Lord, which is provoke not your children to wrath. Children are like sponges. They're going to soak up everything in their environment. 
You put a, a sponge in a bucket of soapy water, the sponge by nature is going to soak up its environment. And you can take it out, and you can go put it over here in this dry bucket, and it's going to ooze everything. It's going to reflect everything gets soaked up. That's why it's so funny when kids go to other kids' house. Is because they take everything from this bucket over here, and you go over here to this bucket, and all you got to do is squeeze. And everything that was in that environment is fixing to come out. It's part of kids. So if this bucket over here is nothing but fighting and screaming and no love, then when they get out of that environment, all they know is what they've soaked up. You can't expect them to be something different than what the environment you created. And so if you want your children to grow up and to know how to love and to know how to, how to cooperate, to know how to pray, to know how to be faithful to church, you parents have to put it in action. I've seen many of parents mess up some kids, and it wasn't the kid's fault. Wasn't the kid's fault. It's because their parents provoked them. How you speak to your child. Remember I told you, if you speak to the fool in your child, the fool will stand up. But if you speak to the king in your child, the king will stand up. Children will reflect and mimic how they are talked to by their parents. And if, if all you do is belittle them, number one, you're building up nothing but damage and insecurities on the inside. I want my children to know they can be anything, they can do anything, and my wife and I are their biggest fans. Okay? There's a mentality in this area where people, all they see is everything around, and they go, what's there to do around here? There's nothing to do around here. And so they have a ceiling placed over them. It's invisible that they think, I, can't, I can never be anything. I can never do anything. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can do and be anything you want with the help of God and hard work. You can do it. They just need somebody to come up alongside of them and tell them, I believe in you. You can do anything. So if you're going to speak to your child, make sure they know that you are their biggest fans. Ephesians 5, I'm rather, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Your work ethic on your secular job is a concern to God because it concerns your character, which is the real you when nobody is watching. When nobody's watching. Do you work the same way? When your boss isn't around, as when he is around? Do you do the same when you're by yourself as you do when you're a bunch of people? 
There's people I call Christian chameleons. You know what a chameleon is? It blends in with its surroundings. And there's a lot of Christians that are chameleons. They don't stand out. They blend in with whoever they're with. If they're with somebody over here that's telling dirty jokes, they're going to tell dirty jokes. If they're with somebody over here that's gossiping, they're going to gossip. If they're with somebody over here that's praying, they're going to pray. They don't stand out. They just, they're chameleons. They blend in with whoever they're with. And that's not the will of God. That's not the will of God. This, he said, not with eye service as men pleasers, which means you only do what you're supposed to do when people are watching. That's not, what's, that's not how this is supposed to work. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do when nobody's watching because God's always watching. I used to get a kick out of it when I was evangelizing. I'd work the altars, and I'd be over here, but I'd be looking over here. Because I very rarely I close my eyes when I'm praying. I'm always looking. And I'd be over here, and I'd see five people over here standing there doing a bunch of nothing. And the closer I got, the more they started praying. And they do this. They open their eyes. I can't see them. My eyes are open. I know they're squinty, but I was, they were open. They were seeing how close I was getting, and the closer I'd get, the more fervent they'd start praying. And I'd just look at them like, you got this wrong. If you're only praying because I'm walking up to you, that's eye service because you're a man, a man pleaser. You ought to be praying just as hard when nobody's watching as you do when everybody's watching. Verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Keep in mind, we are rewarded by the Lord, not necessarily by the person or place that we invest in his kingdom. We do all of our work for him. If, if you're doing it for any other reason than for the Lord, it's the wrong reason. It's the wrong reason. There's people that I, I, I know of in my past that if they didn't get recognized for whatever they did, they got upset. Well, that's the wrong reason. If you're doing it to get recognition, now listen, I try to recognize people if you, if, if you work, if you labor. Now, I miss people. I don't knock it out of the park every time. I am a human. I'm a human, not perfect. I'm going to forget. I'm going to, I even try to put stuff in my phone, and I still don't, I still miss things, okay? But if you're doing it for humans and for human recognition, you're doing it for the wrong reason to begin with. You do it for the Lord. And when you give, when you give, you can't choose when God gives it back. The Bible says, cast thy bread on the water, and it'll return not many days hence. But who can define not many days hence? It's not like it said in seven days, it's coming back. I can't tell you how many times I took up sacrificial offerings at churches, and people would come up to me the next few weeks. Brother, I gave, and I got bills in the mail after that, and my truck broke down, and this, and I really could have used that money. Why are you telling me? I didn't tell you what to give. 
I didn't even tell you to give. That's between you and the Lord. And that did not happen here, by the way. That was when I was evangelizing. Just want to clarify that. God is the one that returns. God simplified the New Testament church structure by giving only one job opening. There's only one job opening to every member, and that is servant. There's no hierarchy. Everybody's a servant. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The term means the servant is so devoted that even if they were offered their freedom, they would refuse it because of their lifelong commitment to their beloved master. In the Old Testament, it was the term was slave. And it comes from Exodus 21, 5 and 6. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, that his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him the door or under the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. They had a law. Ever so many years, that slave had opportunity to go free. But if they said, I love my master, I love his family, I don't want to go anywhere, they'd bring them to a post and they'd put an awl through the ear. And by doing that, they were called love slaves. And they had to serve that master forever. But don't you realize that as, as Christians, as children of God, as slaves, we are more free than we've ever been. We're not in this because somebody makes us do this. We're in this because we're saying, I love my master, and I want to serve him forever. As servants, no one can say, that's beneath me. That job is beneath me. Nobody. Because Jesus exemplified they saved that job was for, for servants because they wore sandals. It was customary in, in, in the Jews' household. When they got to a place, it was customary for that servant to go through and wash everybody's feet because they were dirty from traveling. And so Jesus, by doing that, he was Christ. He was the Messiah, the chosen one. But he was saying, there is no job that is beneath any child of God if it's picking up trash if it's mopping, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Everybody is qualified as servants to do it. Verse 9, and ye masters do the same thing unto them, same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respecter of persons with him. Now listen to me. God is no respecter of persons. But he is a respecter of principle. He's a respecter of principle. When you're in a position of leadership, don't take advantage of others. No one should lead who has never followed. No one should lead who has never followed. Followed. I've seen people that wanted to be in positions, but they couldn't be submitted to anybody. They couldn't be submitted. And if you can't follow, how can you lead? 
how can you lead? There's principles that God put in place. Joshua was a great leader because he had submitted to a flawed leader like Moses. Joshua could lead because he said, you know what? I know you got flaws. Listen to me. Listen. There is not a man of God on the face of the earth that is perfect. We've all got flaws. And the closer, some, most of y'all see me on Sunday and Wednesday or off nights if we have special things. But the closer you get to me, the more flaws you're going to see. But you know what? The closer I get to you, more flaws I'm going to see. Right? If I'm standing right here and I'm looking on that back row, those back few rows, I don't see a wrinkle on anybody. I don't see a wrinkle on nobody's skin. Part of that is because I can't see very good even with glasses. But if I got off this platform and I walked down to, to, to your row and I got about a foot from your face, I count nose hairs. Okay? But it's because of proximity. It's because of proximity. And so it is with the, with the man of God. Don't expect me to be perfect. Just know that I'm trying to get to heaven and trying to help everybody else I can make it. But Joshua said, yeah, I know Moses has flaws, but I'm still going to follow him. And God could use Joshua because he was submitted to a flawed leader. Why has Paul spent so much time talking about submission? It's because when soldiers are submitted, they will stay in rank. They will not break rank when they're submitted. The last thing you want is a maverick on the battlefield. The last thing you want is somebody out there that is going to throw everything he learned to the side and start trying to do his own thing. That's a recipe for disaster. I've seen there are principles. My pastor, he drilled into me what's called ministerial ethics. Ethics, etiquette, proper ways that you do things in the ministry. Because if you cannot, for instance, I'm going to use it for instance. If I'm a local pastor, if I'm a local preacher in the church, this has happened to me. I walked into a service, I was about 18 years old. I walked into a church, probably had 60 people. I just went. On the afternoon, they had afternoon service. I just went to visit. Nothing else. I walk in and the pastor said, okay. I walked over to him. He goes, you're preaching today. What? I've never preached in my life. I never preached a message in my life. And he said, you're preaching today. I said, oh, okay. I said, can I go to your office and work on my message? I didn't even have one to work on. He said, yeah, it's over there. I walked in. God is my witness. I had me a little Bible. I still have it in my office, the Bible I had. And I looked on his desk, and there was an envelope. I said, I need to write some notes on this envelope. And I had been listening to a message on the way to church. 
Good enough for me. I'm going to preach that guy's message. It's the only thing I know to preach. And so I wrote down the highlights from that guy's message that I had heard on the way to church that morning. Got up there, and God blessed it and, and had a great service. I was pumped up. I mean, pumped up. I'm a preacher. I'm so wet behind the ears. I, I was not a preacher. And I went to church that evening and said, yeah, I went, uh, I went to so-and-so's church, and they asked me to preach. He goes, really? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was pumped up. And he could have squashed me in a heartbeat, but he didn't. But he called that pastor. I don't know what kind of words they had, but it never happened again because he taught me. If you go to somebody else's church and you don't just go up to that person's pulpit and preach without me knowing what's going on. So you know what happened a few years later? My wife and I went to a church, and the pastor come to me between the Sunday school and the church time, and he asked me if I'd preach that service. And I said, can you give me a second? I need to go call my pastor. No, he wanted me to preach that night. That's what it was. And I went outside, called my pastor, and he gave his approval, and I preached because there's certain things, there's certain protocols you follow as a preacher. There's ethics. Because here's why, is you'll get a guy who's a maverick and won't submit to any pastor, and he's going to show up at a church, and he's going to come in and buy everybody steak dinners, and he's going he's to wow everybody, and they're going to think he's the greatest thing in the world, and then he's going to destroy a church because he's a maverick. He won't be submitted to anybody. Submission. How can you be a part of an army if you want to be a maverick and do your own thing? You can't. You've got to be submitted. There have been things as a pastor that I have told people that I knew when it left my mouth I was fixing to tick them off. I knew it. I knew it. But I was saying it on purpose because I wanted to see if they were submitted. Now, I loved all over them, and I've smiled, and everything's fine. But I, it's about submission. It's about you cannot put on the whole armor of God. We're not going to make it through this chapter today. I'm sorry because I'm on verse 10. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, there are things that God will show you and even let you taste but then he will expect you to fight for it. Give you an example. The spies, God gave them a taste. They come back, fruit. I'm going to preach about this a little bit in my message. Fruit, milk and honey. There's a taste. They got a glimpse of what God had for them. But God wasn't just going to hand it to them on a silver platter. They had to be willing to fight for it. Why do you think everybody's not using the gifts of the Spirit? Because God will give them a taste of it early on. And then He wants you to start consecrating and fighting for it in the Spirit and praying for it because you appreciate what you earn. You appreciate what you fight for. You appreciate what you pray for. 
I'll never forget the first time God used me in tongues and interpretation, or rather interpretation. Tongues is easy because nobody knows if you're wrong. That's a joke, okay? Tongues is is a real thing. But they'll know if you're wrong interpreting. I've seen some that I was like, oh, hold up. I think you missed it. But that first time that I gave interpretation, I could tell you, I could take you to the spot I was standing in the church, and I was about to throw up because I was so sick. It was moving on me so strong. But all I had was about five words to go on, and that wasn't enough water for me to walk on. And I was going, God, I need more. I need the whole paragraph. Show me the whole picture. And God said, if you'll speak, I'll give you the rest. So that's what I did. Mm. All right, Lord. All right. And I kept delaying it, thinking the service would move on. And finally I said, Lord, if this is really you, if this is really you, let somebody else give tongues again, and then I'll know that this is you. Sure enough, about as soon as I got it out of my mouth, there it is, somebody else. Should have picked something harder. But I already told God that I would do it. And when I just close my eyes, because if I can't see them, they can't see me. And I spoke it out. It all just started coming. I didn't know where it was coming. I was getting scared because I didn't know none of that stuff. But it was all coming out. And when I when it all came out, it's like I deflated. And I just fell to the floor. But God was teaching me, this is what it's like. He gave me a taste of it. And then it didn't happen for a long time. But he wet my appetite for it. Same thing with the word of knowledge and, and, and the word of wisdom. Walk by somebody, and I look at them, and I see, and I'm going, wow, God, this is weird. How, what blew my mind was how could everything I say be right? I don't know none of it. And so for an analytical person, you're trying to figure out. I walk up to somebody and say this, this, and this, and they just melt down and break down. Walk up to somebody else. Say this, this, and this. And it's I'm going, where's all this coming from? I don't know all this stuff. And then there would be a season where it wouldn't happen at all. But it's because God whets your appetite for it. And then he wants you to start fighting for it in prayer. He wants you to start consecrating in prayer. He wants you to start digging in in prayer. And then he'll give you a little bit more. And then it just whets your appetite for it. There's some churches I'd walk, I could walk into a church right now. Every time I walk in, it's like God yanks off the veil. And I just start walking through and I just start seeing, 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 seeing. And there's some churches I walk in, nothing. I thought it was something with me. So, so what's wrong with me? But I realized a church takes on the nature of a pastor, of their pastor. If you got churches where they have, and this is no disrespect, this is reality, okay? An older man who's solid in the word, been pastoring for a long time, 
And he's got a good congregation, and he just moves about that pace. You're not going to blow the doors off that church. Because for years, that church has taken on the nature of their pastor. Okay? And so some pastors are real fluent and fluent in the gifts, and so their church takes that nature. And then some are not. They're not against it, but they don't flow in them. And so the church takes on that nature. That's why it's so important to bring in a variety of ministers, a variety of personalities. It's because what one person may minister to these people, but this person over here may connect with these people, and you have different ministry styles. There was a man, there was a man in our home church. Stand with me, I'm gonna close. He had the hardest time getting the Holy Ghost. Good man, but he had the hardest time praying through. And he, everybody who was somebody prayed with him. Couldn't get the Holy Ghost. And one night, one preacher came through that I'd never seen before, never seen him since. But he had served in the military. This guy had served in the military. And he understood the mind of somebody who's been in the military and how they're broke down and how they're not used to showing their emotions and all this kind of stuff. It's just the reality of it, okay? And that man prayed that guy through to the Holy Ghost in that service. Nobody else prayed him, could pray him through. Now, I know God gives the Holy Ghost, but God sent a man for a man. That's why I try to bring in a variety of personalities. I try to bring in people you like and you don't like. Because if you like them, it'll help you. And if you don't like them, it'll still help you to learn to love people you don't like. There was churches I walked into that I knew I will never be back to this church. Reality. There's times I walked to the pulpit and I said, God, I'm so sorry that I got us into this. If you'll get me out of it, I won't put us back in it. No pastor, or rather no evangelist, connects with every church. It's impossible because you have different personalities. Then there's churches I went to, and it was just like a hand in a glove. We just fit. And all I had to do was step to that pulpit, and we started rolling with it. Amen. He says, I'm ending with this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God has given people in this building a taste of things. There's people in this building. God wants to use you in the gifts of the Spirit. They're the gifts of the Spirit, okay? They don't belong to people. They're the gifts of the Spirit. Anybody can access them. And God has whet your appetite for them. But the only thing holding you back is the fear of being wrong. You got to get over that. Because we as a church have to have mercy on people that are trying to exercise their giftings. There's a difference in someone giving a false prophecy and a false prophet. A false prophet is working under influence that is not of God 
and they are leading people astray from righteousness and truth. But everybody has missed it at some point in another trying to follow the Holy Ghost. The key is to just keep trying because it's like a muscle. The more you do it and the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Amen. Let's lift our hands as we close our Sunday school time. Let's ask the Lord to touch us today. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, I pray for your spirit to 